Welcome to the Beats and Bleeps podcast. I'm your host, Anthony. Uh, today I'm joined by Scientific, um, an American composer that's worked on a number of games, uh, mainly Oxen Free, After Party, Old Man's Journey, amongst many other games. Um, Andy, thanks for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, so I think the best place to start would be, how, how did you, you get into writing soundtracks for games specifically? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, luckily, uh, and by accident, <laughs> so I was, uh, before working on games, I was actually, uh, primarily a composer for, uh, TV and film and ads mostly, actually, I yep. was doing a lot of ads, which isn't necessarily the most fulfilling, <laughs> uh, way to make a living making music, uh, but it paid the bills and then at some point, kind of coincidentally, uh, two different opportunities came up around the same time. One was that I literally met the audio director for Microsoft Game Studios in a local coffee shop, <laughs> literally my neighbor. <laughs> so we struck up a conversation, and, and that led to a bit of game work. And then the other was that Super Brothers, the developers of Sword and Sorcery, uh, turns out had heard my music totally unrelated to games or film just like records I had put out even years prior to that uh, and had been using some of that music uh, for a prototype they that they had been working on for the game that would eventually be the follow-up to Sword and Sorcery and eventually became Jet uh, the Far Shore which literally came out a week ago after a very long road of development. So the the first game that you, well, one of the first games you actually started working on is the one that's only just recently been released then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Literally was the first game I was hired on to do the entire score for. So like the previous projects had been, you know, maybe a few songs here and there. Uh, and then than this <laughs> which yeah. yeah uh eight years eight years of work from myself and even more from the primary developers yeah i say it does look like quite a, an interesting game and especially um like the gameplay seems quite therapeutic and quite soothing and for that sort of game looks like normally those sorts of you know you have to respond quickly to things can get stressful but it looks quite peaceful i mean i'll reserve full judgment until i actually play it but <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that is all yeah it's gl- i'm glad you say that because that is by design yeah that it is uh, a different game than than most yeah so with um i know when i was looking on your wikipedia that um you were in a band previous to that is that um is that the music that they were using or is it um for that no no it was a solo music so my moniker now scientific is kind of derived from the name i used to use uh for basically solo electronic music that was scientific american so it was one of those records from literally the early 2000s uh so that's what's amazing is one piece of music uh in this game had its genesis essentially 20 years ago which is mind-blowing 
could be it could be older than some of the people that are playing the game. Yes, <laughs> that yes, that piece of music is <laughs> yes, literally older than some of the players. So, in terms of um, obviously your your solo um, project, obviously you said uh, back from the early noughties, it was heavily electronic. Is that sort of how you've uh, get my words out? Generally, like with your composition, do you kind of go for more electronic scores rather than real instrumentation? Um, I really focus on what the game needs. So I try to be as broad as possible, but also honest with myself and what I can accomplish. Yeah. You know, what I'm good or bad at. So if somebody approached me and said, hey, we want a, a, a reggae soundtrack for our game, I'd probably recommend someone else <laughs> because that's not my forte. So I want to do things that are fun. That's the primary things yeah. thing. And then I want to do things that are challenging. And the result of that is that there's probably a, a pretty wide variety of styles that I've worked in and yeah. hopefully done well. Uh, but it actually started the very first project I worked on by that contact I mentioned with Microsoft Game Studios was doing remixes. Because part of my kind of live performance thing was a hybrid of, of DJ DJing and music sample based music composition and kind of mashing it all together and performing it in that way. Um, so that was kind of the first thing that got my foot in the door was I literally the first project was remixing Johnny Cash and Bob Dylan for this game called Crackdown 2. So uh, that's about as out there as you can get with respect to traditional scoring. Yeah, uh, This wasn't really scoring, this was just, hey, we need these songs remixed for this game, can you do that? Uh, so yes, there was that, and then obviously I, I feel like Oxenfree is one of the more popular games I've worked on, so I'm known for that, and that, I would say, musically is very close to you know, what I'd be doing if I wasn't making music for video games. It yeah. would probably be a lot of synthesizer stuff. But then Jet comes out and it's primarily orchestral. Okay. Uh, and that seems, I think, if you look at the linear progression of what's been released to the public, this seems like, oh, this guy's branching out. But a lot of this, like I said, has been written over the course of eight years. So a lot of it's older than Oxenfree. Uh, so all this was going on concurrently. Yeah, uh, it is kind of a, a silly amount of styles, but it's yeah, I love it all, and I love that challenge. So, if as you mentioned, Oxenfree, it's one of the the soundtracks and games that you're more recognised from. Um, what was sort of like the the pitch for how how they wanted that to sound? Um, like, what sort of vibe were they going for? Because obviously, it's got the supernatural kind of yeah thing going um on. well it was a it was it came very natural to me uh and this is another one that happened kind of through a friend of a friend uh uh they made contact with me from actually from this some of the similar music that that, that the jet developers had heard so this was before my video game work so sean crankle at uh at night school with mutual friends with some of my friends and happened to have some of my music 
and reached out to me through that friend and was like, would you be interested in working on a video game? And I was like, well, yes, because I just <laughs> started in, in this career. So the first thing we did, well, they described the game, and it sounded very much my sort of thing, uh, and it takes place in the region of the U.S. that I'm from, so there's that kinship. But we, Sean and I, just traded mixtapes of influences, so so bands and, 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 and maybe scores, songs that we thought fit, and, you know, kind of had that general vibe. So basically an inspirations mixtape. And not only did we have several of the same artists on our kind of playlists, like I think we might have even had a song or two that was the same, which was like, come on. <laughs> so uh, just it, we just started off on, on the right foot. Uh, and so that was very part and parcel to the, the fabric of what makes oxen free. So it's that, um, not just vintage and lo-fi and cassette stuff, but the idea of, of time loops, uh, and jumping through eras gave me the idea of, well, why don't we use that time jumping as a texture in the music itself? And that is not just saying, oh, well, everything sounds like it's from a, a cassette from 1978 or reel-to-reel from 1968. It's all of those technologies from the time jumping, and they've gotten scrambled over time. So that, you know, the VHS tape that had this song got scrambled and somebody had to wind, rewind it manually and <laughs> shove it back in the machine. And all of that became not just texture, but... Uh, uh, you know, a central component of some of the music and then also, you know, a component of gameplay itself. So there's actual puzzles that are based on speeding up and slowing down reel-to-reel uh, -reel tapes and things like that. So yeah, so with, with that sort of thing, is that difficult to do from like a composition point of view or is it more the sort of like speeding up and slowing down things in terms of the gameplay is that more of like a programming thing or is how's that handled yeah. so within the game itself like mechanically how things function that is definitely a complex problem that i can't solve so that was working closely with uh frank cannon at night school on how to develop these concepts so that i think i believe the tape concept started with i think maybe i said well what if you you know, rotate an analog stick and that's the speed of the thing. So it's like if you had a turntable that's stopped and you try to push it to make it the right speed. Like yeah. can we make a puzzle mechanic around that? Or the way the radio functions and the tuning functions. So I describe some things, but I just describe it. And Bryant does all the actual heavy lifting on making that stuff function. So that's the gameplay stuff. But in the songwriting, it affects songwriting because sometimes that these concepts can lead to ideas that in turn lead songwriting. So a good example on the Oxford Free soundtrack is there's two songs, one called Against the Rocks and one called Against the Waves. And I don't remember which is which. I think <laughs> Against the Wave is essentially, I just took Against the Rocks, slowed it down four times and wrote, new parts on top of that so the base texture of the one song is the other one just really slow and so did a lot of that throughout uh soundtrack as much as i could and that in turn 
that's what the game's about. You know, you do these time loops, and so things are reversed or scrambled. So if I can integrate that into the songwriting, then that, to me, is super, super valuable in making the whole thing cohesive. It's definitely like especially what you're saying about having the gameplay mechanics where you use controllers and things to get certain speeds, but then with how that game works with the time loops and things, you know, using slowed down versions of songs it kind of it's like lots of layers of it not just being like oh here's a song that'll do you know it's kind of like lots of thought got into it that's probably on the base level maybe not appreciated until you you know you know these details of how it's came about it's like a lot of work making it the music fit with that sort of you know the main ideas of the game yeah so this is i guess this is uh it's a secret, but I think I can divulge it. This is essentially a feature, a feature or an idea that we weren't able to implement in time. But there's one scene in particular where there's several loops of the same thing yep. happening over and over. The soccer ball scene, I call it. Uh, one of those loops, what I wanted to do was have the, the music speed tied to player speed. So the faster if Alex was walking if the player was pushing Alex full speed the song would move but if you if the player stopped the song would slow down and stop and if she walked in the opposite direction the song would then speed up and play backwards so I wanted basically the scrub location of a tape or a record tied to Alex's movement within the scene and we didn't get to do that which is a bummer because it wasn't core to gameplay it just would have been a cool added yeah. feature um, so that's I don't know maybe we can do that sometime in the future but that was one really cool mechanic that's just so it's not it's a cool toy but it's so much a part of this game that not only has the time loops and the slower quicker speed up it has the digital glitches and the functional kind of fourth wall breaking things where sometimes it feels like oh the game's broken or i'm watching it on a vhs cassette it's got you know wrapped around the uh, spindle or something it definitely felt like at times where i was kind of playing it i was like is that supposed to have happened yes and they're like obviously yeah. after a while you're like oh it is it's but it's yeah it's very um involving in terms of like it's not just uh you know you're you're viewing the narrative of the game and playing it it's like lots of things that make you feel more integrated into that experience and obviously with the way that yeah. the audio and music was designed around that you know it sounds like we were you kind of quite heavily involved in terms of when you were writing the songs for how they fitted in the game or was it you would write something and come back to them and this is how this is going to fit in here yeah so weirdly it's Again, it's just like some miracle that this all came to, together the way it did. But not much. Okay. I was not... Selection-wise, wasn't that involved. And this is partially, you know, a, a short time schedule. But the way the music was written for that game, as, as soon as we felt we were on the same wavelength, same vibe, like I mentioned, trading mixtapes, and I started demoing... Uh, I just started writing and I just started cranking out songs that I felt reflected what they were trying to go for and 
obviously I had access to the game and to like Heather's amazing uh, artwork. So I had all that stuff to influence me and to really picture how this would fit in. So I was just cranking out music. And another irony of it being so lo-fi is there wasn't, I didn't have to put as much care into mastering and final mixing as I would with other projects. Yeah. So some of those demos is like, just put it in the game. Who cares? <laughs> and that's what happened. So it kind of came back to me like, uh, yes, there was certainly back and forth on what works where, but a lot of the time it was uh, just kind of like, oh, yeah, we put this song in this scene and it works. Done. And could just craft it off the to-do list because that worked. Kind of. That's quite surprising with how well it all all fits together. But then, did you say with like the mixtapes, if you kind of had a lot of crossover when they were being changed it's you know yeah you, you knew the sort of vibe thereafter are you able to say anything that was on the mixtapes just as like an idea of influences or is it gone um yeah i the ones i keep coming back to that i know we had in common were uh john carpenter is kind of an obvious one and a heavy influence on a lot of this type of scoring yeah he's just a master of that horror synth uh stuff um, uh, Bibio was mentioned. Yeah. Uh, Boards of Canada, and, and you know, and then to a lesser extent, a lot of that kind of like lo-fi movement stuff, like High Corner Audio or Freesha, uh, who I, you know, there's just kind of there's definitely an, an orbit around Boards of Canada. I think. Yeah. For stylistically, um, so yeah, so it was really fun to for me to say, oh well, I love that music anyway. Uh, it's the kind of stuff I would DJ, so now I get to kind of uh, experiment with it in a narrative context. So yeah, it was really fun. So that's one thing I think about. Boards of Canada are very good at essentially kind of concept records. Yeah, like each album has uh, a, a narrative structure, so it was almost fun to like go, oh well, let's you know let's make a video game out of out of that idea of like that making one thing flow from the beginning to end always fine with boards of canada even though they're concept albums the, the music does just seem to be almost written for soundtracks or like it's that sort of yeah. thing even though it's like obviously not but it or, well not all of it but yeah it just kind of fits quite well with that sort of lo-fi very almost minimalist at times but some nice analog sounds yeah. in terms of things yeah yeah, okay. yeah i think like it's not one that i had thought of listening to the soundtrack but now you mention it like especially like a lot of like the tape sounds and things like that kind of get that influence from it um yeah so in terms in terms of um like we with oxen free were you kind of surprised and like the team surprised with the success of that or what was sort of the expectation for how that would do yeah um well, there's always the hope that everything <laughs> does well. <laughs> so I think happy with the success for sure, but I think the most surprising was the longevity. So, you know, almost everything, uh, music, film, TV, video games, everything is like has the big splash at the beginning and then, you know, the fade. And Oxenfree had a weirdly long tail with respect to success it's like hey it came out and people were like hey this is cool but it just kept going and so that i think is the best 
part of it is it wasn't like smash hit immediately and okay let's move on to the next one it was like it just uh, evergreen i guess is the term they use yeah. it just kept kept going uh and is still finding new new audience so yeah that's really really exciting uh, i'm actually uh lending my copy of the game to a friend at the weekend <laughs> so yeah so it's so kind of like i was oh yeah speaking to andy that wrote the soundtrack and it's like you should play it it's great <laughs> nice yeah in terms of um obviously the physical release of that the vinyl do you know if there's any any plans for any further releases of that or is it just the one off <laughs> or is that one you can't uh, answer <laughs> um i cannot confirm or deny <laughs> but yeah <laughs> that, that's a good hint. i think that's a great hint it is uh, but yeah it was i'll no well i'll say this uh the the uh the sales of the original vinyl greatly exceeded our expectations and we were getting asked constantly uh about represses so i mean that well the the second hand prices of the when i was looking the other day are quite a lot <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of a bummer and i don't think i i hope i wasn't too much of a victim of you know price speculative buyers yeah. a thing i'm not a fan of you know i want people who want the thing to have the thing yeah so definitely. it's like yeah it's like an ego boost to see it going for 250 dollars uh on ebay but it's also a bummer because i don't that's a lot of money that could buy a lot of other cool stuff and yeah. so you know i'd prefer uh you know supply equal demand but that is a very difficult thing to do because you don't know whether something will be a hit or not or if people will want one of a thing or a thousand of a thing and you don't want a, you know a bunch of records sitting in a box no but, so that's the thing with vinyl as well it's especially how long it takes to produce with the backlogs at the minute and say like oh we're gonna make a thousand of this and at the time you do it it might be like oh yeah they'll all go and then the six months down the line it takes to produce them it's like yeah do you want to buy this for yeah. this game you've forgotten about <laughs> yeah the backlog is pretty intense so we have after party vinyl you know announced and pre-ordered months and months ago and yep. it's still not out in the world yet so we're no. still waiting on that as am i <laughs> <laughs> So that actually leads quite uh, quite nicely into the talking about After Party. Um, so was that, obviously that's from the same studio, Night School Studio. Was that just a continuation of following the work on Oxen Free? Or... Yeah, so there's a lesser known game that we did in between uh, uh, that got buzz for what it was, but it's also kind of a departure. But that was a game... Uh, aligned with the TV series Mr. Robot. Yeah, it was one of the things that Night School was experimenting with with types of projects they would do. Um, but I think it was, you know, Oxenfree was winding down, and just kind of the mutual appreciation was like, well, if you guys keep going, I want to do that stuff. Uh, and Sean and the Night School team were like, yes. If, if you want to do more of this, we want to do more of this. And so that's how we just kept working together. Um, so did the Mr. Robot thing. Uh, and that was super fun. And, you know, you, if you get if you do a, a tie-in to someone else's, uh, 
creative product. Yeah. I can't imagine anything cooler than and more appropriate than Mr. Robot because it was such a great show. <laughs> so it was. It was like, you know, almost anything else I'd be like, oh, I don't know. You don't get your own creative voice or something. But uh, Mr. Robot's great show, great score. So it was really fun to work in that. Do you uh, feel feel with that because it was an already existing uh, like IP that there was like more more level of expectation on on what you were producing before than before? Yeah, I think there would have been, but it was such a cool and unconventional format. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with the game, but it was basically a re- you were texting in real time, and so. So it was basically like your phone became a phone in the Mr. Robot yeah. universe. So in that way, there was way less expectation in terms of traditional scoring. So it's like, well, what is music for a thing that's supposed to just be an app? Yeah. So we knew we didn't need or want traditional scoring because the action played out in real time. So you could literally type a text and you wouldn't get a response for... 12 hours, real world hours. So it's like, well, how do you score that? So people are turning this thing on. So basically the scoring for that was to the extent was just like, just provide some like mood bed for wherever the player happens to be within the app. And then beyond that, it was, yeah, not much more complex. Um, so in that respect, it was really, pressure was off. Yeah. You know, I didn't have to uh, meet any lofty expectations and the comparisons with the show would be difficult or impossible just because it was such a different thing makes sense like with it was was there in terms of like it being a, a mobile app was there any i know obviously the restrictions you just said about that but like any restrictions in terms of what you could or couldn't do with the audio or is it just you're able to do full audio on a mobile app now yeah, yeah. It was no restrictions other than like everything I do, like making sure it works yeah. creatively. And, and the team, so this was not just handed off either. Like the key members of the, of the uh, Mr. Robot team were involved in the game. And so with what I did, because I did the sound design as well, what we did with the score and sound design was essentially like, didn't want to break too much of the show's conventions because one of their things was that hacking was realistic. There's no bullshit screens with numbers flying by kind of thing. They didn't want to do that. They wanted it to be real. And so with like user interface sounds and things I made for the texting app, it was all just like, well, what would this thing actually sound like? Yeah. Yeah. So we kept it very restrained with respect to, to that, that stuff. So with um, going back to after party with the the pitch for that, because obviously it's quite a a different game concept from uh, what Oxen Free was. What, how was that sort of in terms of like the influences for the music for that? Yeah, um, so this one was uh, easy to pitch because to me it was obvious that. If it's a game about partying your way out of hell and you're just going to nightclubs and dive bars and wine bars even, those places, a big part of going out at night is the music that's either being performed or or DJed in those places. So the logical conclusion for me was like, okay, well, that 
that's what it should be. So yeah. it's not really a score as much as it is. This is the music you'd hear at these places. Um, and so then c- catered specific songs, like stylistically to the type of music that would be in that, that place. Yes, that's quite satisfying because you get to work across a lot of different genres in the same yeah. project. Yeah. And with the, the uh, obviously with the added, uh, added hook that everything has to be like hellish or satanic in, in feel. So even within those styles, I was like, okay, well, what, you know, what can I do to this to make it, you know, more like this is earth music, but what would, satanists do so like there's a punk a hardcore song but instead of you know shouty shouty lyrics it's much more like you know uh uh, uh doom choir or oh, singing and things like that or, or like a gregorian uh song you know very uh uh is liturgical is that the right word um so yeah just from one to the next doing silly dumb uh, Satanist stuff because Satanism is such a joke thing anyway. You know, yeah. It's like serious Satan Satanists are a rare thing, and so Satanism and its reflection in pop culture is so comical anyway. So it was like fun to like do like backwards. So this is one I did like backwards messages on uh, in songs because that was the thing in the seventies that supposedly Judas Priest was sending messages to kids and so yeah playing with all these conventions of not serious satanism but how silly satanism is i did write uh, on my like questions list about after party i've got inadvertent commas satanic uh, satanic techno party vibes as as what i would describe it as and i think i think yeah it's definitely like you're listening to it it's like oh that's sort of like you know techno music and then it's got the as you say like the gregorian chanting and that sort of thing and it's like yeah it literally is just a party in a bar in hell basically Yeah. yeah and so it's yeah just from one to the next it was a lot of fun to like pick those influences out like in the dirty hurry gertie it's roughly it's kind of like like pagan rock you know like oh they go out in the forest and drop acid and play drums for 12 hours you know that sort of thing or the the kind of uh 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 m club i guess we could call it for lack of a better term it's like kind of witch housey you know so it's all these things that were not even satanist but just kind of like ooh dark and demonic music and yeah again just picking out the funny tropes from those and really uh playing them up scene by scene i'm guessing with well i wouldn't know if it was sort of in the media conscious was there any sort of like backlash off the the themes in after party even though obviously it's it's very tongue-in-cheek it's satirical it's not a serious commentary on it but you know how people do tend to take things quite seriously i think yeah i think there were a couple you know youtube videos from you know, concerned parents warning about don't let your kids play this demonic game. I think there are a couple things like that, but for the most part, yeah, it was pretty pretty low intensity in terms of, yeah, uh, uh, backlash. Um, yeah, so for the most part, I think I was even surprised at the lack. Like, I actually thought, since it's a game that focuses on drinking, I thought we'd see that as more of a, a, a 
uh, a problematic thing that might arise, and I don't think that really happened either. So yeah, I think we did a good job of threading that needle. Um, uh, yeah, not causing an, an needed controversy. Just have to have one of those messages in telling people to drink responsibly if they're ever in a drinking yeah. competition with <laughs> with Satan. Yeah, well, I think that's one of the things too. It's like so ridiculous. Like it's such a ridiculous concept in a good way obviously that's what the game is that it's like anybody who would like try to complain it's like you know take a step back and realize that you're in a drinking game with satan in hell yeah it's just ridiculous so video games going from that on a, a different sort of um well different style of well not necessarily style of game but different content with um old man's journey obviously that's mm-hmm. uh quite a heartfelt warm experience um so with like oxen free and after party the the games have um like obviously the stories told through the conversation with the characters and in terms of old man's journey obviously there's not a written dialogue in that so did with that is did you feel like there's much more weight on the music to make to give it kind of that emotional depth of the story yeah for sure this is this is one of the games where I've really, alongside the developers of Broken Rules, kind of developed a, a, a process for defining how music can uh, assist a narrative or drive narrative as much as possible. Um, so of anything I've done, this is the one that probably has most of that. I don't even know what the musical term is, but it's like musical alliteration. It's like, well... You know, there's a storm in the scene, so I want the music to sound as much like a storm as possible. Um, so there's a lot of that to really reinforce uh, narrative and story that is, yeah, 0% dialogue-driven. Like, the old man emotes a bit. Yeah. You know, there's some grunts here and there, but that's about it. Yeah. Um so yeah, and so what we came up with and experimented with, and we've come back to you now several times, is essentially like a, a graph. That sounds very uh, uh, mathematic. Now, what's the word I would use? But uh, it sounds very... Um, uh, yeah, I'm not sure of the word, but it's basically like a curve or a way to map. Yeah, let's, this is the word. I'll use it. It's an emotional map and a narrative map for what music should do. Like at this point, we should be getting more positive and supporting those feelings. At this point, it's getting darker and negative. So we basically map the emotional flow of an entire game, uh, and then work within those confines. Again, not just to meet music for level one. Oh, now level two, boss battle, level three. Uh, to really see how the entire game that's meant to flow so linearly can flow and give, you know, a musical kind of sense of of story. Obviously, that's um, that sort of style of thing really comes across because obviously it's it's mainly visual storytelling with the the music to kind of or the sound to supplement that. And I did find yeah. like did find it was very. Um, there's quite a few games that sort of have done that similar sort of thing where, you know, tell a story without words almost to an extent. And I've actually found them 
when done right to be a lot more emotionally engaging because it's almost your brain's almost thinking how you should feel rather than having a text saying this is how this character's feeling that's kind of yeah. part of it is you can always tell when it's done well tying in with the music because you know you feel that sense of you know sense of loss or sense of frustration or sense of anger and i did find like even though old man's journey is a quite short experience it's it's a game that i do recommend to quite a lot of people for you know instead of watching a film almost because it's yeah that sort of narrative story but it's obviously interactive in this in that sense and the music does tie all that together and it's obviously listening to how you said with the map and stuff how you almost plot the plot the emotions through that journey and make the music fit with that it really shows yeah and i think that's borne out by my experience with people who don't play games at all who i've had you know asked for recommendations or like oh you know it's so cool what you do but i don't get it at all like i always come back to old man's journey like hey if you want to give it a try this is this is the one uh and have had yeah multiple people come back to me and go wow are all video games like this because this is really cool and i'm like no (laughs) sorry (laughs) i can give you some specific recommendations but it is yeah it's 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 not a particularly common structure for a video game but it's a great one and so that audience you know is it's one of my favorite things to to write music for and when the experience uh is overall as successful as i feel like old man's journey is like yeah that's the best like those sorts of fans like who get it it's just that's the best feeling definitely yeah i say definitely one that i tell a lot of people to play and then they come back to it it's just like yeah never i've never felt so much like emotion from a game before almost it's just yeah they are games that do that you know it's not all just running around shooting people yeah (laughs) so in terms of um going back to what you said like sort of your your journey into game soundtracks you were working on film and tv soundtracks is there do you, is is it you prefer game soundtracks or is it still a, a healthy mix of both? Uh, I'm almost exclusively doing games now. I have a few other things happening, but what I've really found is it's it's especially compared to advertising, which is like the far end of this uh, this vocation. Is it's really fulfilling to be a collaborator on a project? Yeah, and. Even with the film, that can be amazing. You're still not... The process is still very linear. And essentially, the audio stuff is happening at the end, or towards the end. So we're like, yep, we had a script, and we storyboarded it, and we shot it, and we've roughly got it now edited together. So hello, composer, is you know generally the way it works. And games, like... Me getting into games, like I was very naive, of course, but was the first thing that really struck me, and this was working on Jet, was how much things break, and are, uh, and not just like in a bug sort of way, but intentionally. Like, okay, we built this thing, but we need to change it, and part of changing it is it breaking entirely. So making some music and some sounds for something, and playing it one week, and then the next week going back, and it's completely non-functional and gone I was like what the heck's going on here <laughs> uh, 
And they're like, yeah, this is how it works, man. Get used to it. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, yeah. So now very used to that. And it's great being a part of that collaboration. Um, so I'm more integrated in the projects. Yeah. Uh, not that I have any more say in things that I'm not in charge of, but I definitely feel like what I do is more responsive to what's going on and that in the end, the, you know, if the project turns out right, that it, to me it's like end project is more fulfilling, but also just as like a thing to do, it takes a long time to make a video game. Just as a thing to be doing day to day, it's much more fulfilling yeah. than, yeah, being at the end of the process and basically say somebody saying slap a coat of paint on this thing we did which is what advertising can be yeah a lot of the time so with um your sort of like audio setup does does that differ from project to project or do you kind of have a same sort of equipment you you use um yeah the heart of it's mostly the same uh so i'll computer-based, of course. I have Ableton Live and a push, then a controller keyboard, and so that's doing most of the stuff, but wherever there's an opportunity, uh, live instrumentation happens, and there's I'm surrounded by synthesizers because <laughs> I like them, drum machines and stuff. So when those opportunities are, arise, like I love to uh, put that stuff to work. The new, so I'm working on something else with the with Broken Rules, the developers of uh, Old Man's Journey, and that is a lot of live instrumentation performance on my part. So that's fun and a big departure from something like I'd say the you know the other end of the spectrum from that is Oxen Free, which yeah. is not only synthesizers and computers, but it has to do with like literally recording things to cassettes and back. So it's yeah. about not new technology, it's just about a lot of it is recording technology whereas technology is part of the the writing. Uh, and then the orchestral stuff is largely, you know, sample based just because the realities of production these days. Um, so yeah, mostly in the box and mostly in, done in my studio. Uh, and then obviously live performers when it's a instrument I have no idea how to play and it would be best to get the input from somebody who's actually good at it yeah in terms of um like obviously you mentioned about your synths and drum machines do you have do you have any personal favorites or does it does it depend on the project and what sort of sound you want yeah it kind of yeah and so that's one thing I'm nerd enough to like realize that there's a palette that would work for something and not make that the 100% rule, and I'm only going to work on this synth, but that it has the character that's right for a particular thing. So I think the Korg Minilog have yep. become pretty central and broad enough, just enough of the sound that I love that get wide use. Um, when I did Next Stop Nowhere, one of the limitations for that, that's a night school game that was on Apple Arcade, I was mostly composed on a Akai MPC. So that was going back to kind of traditional beat making yeah. that I've always loved. And again, wasn't exclusively that, but that was a lot of what made that, you know, what it is. Um, 
working on a game now where I have an Electron Digitone, and that's one that I really love the character of and just fits this game so well, so I'm doing as much as I can on that. Uh, but again, you know, that's the starting point. It won't be uh, a rule like, nope, can't use the mini log because <laughs> I told myself that three months ago. It'll just be like, no, the mini log is perfect for this. So, so it definitely, it's definitely more uh, instead of restricting yourself to a sort of palette of sounds but not entirely doing that if it really does call out for something else yeah yeah if it does or just practicality wise you know so an example is working on the npc like i do as much in there as i can then i bring it into uh, the computer to finish but if i decide i need to change the arrangement or something i don't necessarily go back and do that yeah and then do that whole process again I just add the eight bars or whatever I needed in uh, in Ableton Live, and that's that. You know, I'm not mad at myself. Or like if I use, you know, Oxenfree is very organic and analog in nature, but it's not all you know, analog synths and cassette tapes. Like some of it's like emulated and digital synths, uh, all in the box, and it's like that doesn't bother me at all. I don't care like always the end result if it sounds right that's the thing i want not not like a puritan where it's like oh no everything has to be all analog equipment recording real to real tape (laughs) yeah and no and i'm even the opposite like i my inclination not necessarily for what i do but when i read about other producers not just for video game scores but how they work like the kind of just the more like or the less care they have towards that sort of thing, oftentimes it excites me more. Like if if somebody, if they're like, oh yeah, you're, you're so much rich texture in your music and blah, blah, blah in the studio and what do you do? And they're just like, oh, I just use Reason. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, so like Fruity Loops, like if I hear somebody's like made an entire record of Fruity Loops, that to me is as cool or cooler than somebody who has access to piles of you know two thousand dollar mic preamps or whatever like that stuff has a place for sure and i have my fair share of it but i'm kind of consistently impressed with people who can do more with less yeah um but also that feeds into the idea of like yeah those limitations do in ways make things easier because you don't have to think about everything you know you have these restrictions like, I'm going to make an entire soundtrack on an OP1. Like, go for it. And I know people have done that. Uh, you know, that's really cool. And that's where I think uh, it sparks a lot of creativity and it's harder to yeah, get distracted by all the toys. I think it's it's a not necessarily new problem, but it's, it's more of a, a modern problem. Whereas, you know, you were restricted, you know, 20 maybe not 20 years ago but 30 years ago by just the fact that you couldn't get all of those equipments and you didn't have massive sample libraries and now if you wanted to you can just you know go and buy a sample bank for some obscure sorts of instruments and you literally have the access to it and by you know by doing that you're almost have too many options yeah yeah and yeah that's the thing i don't and that's why I'm, I'm I'm hesitant with social media and whatnot to like really discuss production a lot because I know people want to know and I do get those questions a lot. What did you use to make this? Why does this sound like this? And it's like I'm happy to discuss 
but I don't want that to be a focus because I don't believe that that is what makes good thoughts. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the, it's the person twisting the knobs or figuring out some weird way to exploit some feature on some cheap piece of equipment. That's where all the magic is. Um, Cause that's the thing now you buy Ableton live or, to native instruments complete and the amount of stuff that comes with those is mind-boggling you don't need anything else garage yeah. band it's like free and uh there's just so much there and it's part of this is the willingness to put the time in to like sort through like what's good or what's bad about something but also i think a little bit of it is I advocate for people experimenting if they have the option as much as possible to find like what they do like. Yeah. Like synthesizers, even a DAW is like a guitar. Like, oh, I like a nylon string versus a steel string, and they're vastly different in how you play them. And I want to focus on this one because it's so much more fun. Like, I think all the electronic stuff is the same way. So if I say, oh, the Korg Minilog is like my favorite thing ever, and somebody goes and buys it and they think it sucks, <laughs> get rid of it. You know, this is what I said. Um, find something that you like and enjoy and is fun. And that's half of this is just keeping motivated uh, to keep making music is, like, huge. Because so much of this shit, that's the thing. The more shit you have in the studio, like, the more confusing it is and the more of a downer it is. If you're like, I want to record this. Oh, wait, that's not plugged into this thing. Wait, why isn't this working? And, oh, it's the wrong sample rate. And all that stuff is, like, gets in the way of just having fun. Yeah. I think as well, like, especially with more electronic music, you know, whereas you can just go and grab a guitar and play it and jam, like, by the time you've set everything up and if you've not got it set up, it's like you go and plug five different things in and it's like, oh, that's taken me an hour and nothing works yet. And it's just yeah. like, it's, it's hard to be impulsive and creative, whereas, you know, if you say, if you've got like an OP1 or like a little groove box, even if it's not the end product you do with it, you can just bash out ideas and then then turn yeah. them into something bigger when you do have time to set everything up if you did want to use those sorts of sound sets so in terms of um moving on from that in terms of um like the projects you've worked on is no you shouldn't really pick favorite children is there one that you preferred working on or one that was a, a, a unique experience um yeah, no, it's I can't pick. I really can't. But one thing that's really neat, I think, looking at what I've done, is I've just been really fortunate to work with cool teams. So there isn't like a, oh, they sucked, or a project <laughs> I'm embarrassed by. Like, it's all been so cool and so unique in different ways. Um, you know, I think one thing is maybe the, the opposites of, like, things that were very successful, versus things that maybe weren't that I wished were more successful. So there's things like that. So one of the things that I did that most people don't think of me for or know is I collaborated with a shell in the pit on the score for a game called Sneaky Sasquatch. Okay. And yep. it is an Apple Arcade game. And I don't know, I'm not privy to the numbers for this, but apparently from everything I've heard, it's by far the most successful game I've ever worked on. You know? And it's like, I love the music we made, but for some reason the audience for that game is very different from the audience for, yeah, like like Oxen for Your Old Man's Journey, where those people, oh, I love the game, I'm going to find who made this music and put it on a playlist, and I'm going to 
message them on Twitter because I love it. Like our interface with the people who play Sneaky Sasquatch is like much more distant. Yeah. And I don't know why that is, but it's a very weird thing to hear people say, you know, like I think the thing we get a lot on that game is like, oh, yeah, my kid was playing that game. He's he's obsessed with it. But then I started playing it. This is actually verbatim, or not verbatim, but almost verbatim a friend of mine. He's like, my son plays that game constantly. So then I saw it, and then I started playing that game constantly. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's just like a different culturally. So, uh, uh, so that's really fun. But yeah, in terms of like one soundtrack that I'm really proud of that I hope more people are exposed to, Journey of the Broken Circle, uh, which I did... Um, last year oh man time has melted (laughs) two years ago (laughs) Uh, and so that was just really fun because it was kind of like Oxenfree was was like very much like on the same plane in terms of like what they wanted and what I would thought their game needed Uh, and so was really fun to create in that sense and it is it's it's you'll notice it's texturally sonically definitely in the same vein as Oxenfree but with a more less horror and more optimistic yeah. open vibe to it throughout for the most part and so yeah that one is one that like I really really loved working on um, but yeah there are no favorites and I just am constant one thing looking at the discography I'm cheating by the way and literally looking at my bank <laughs> so I've, I've got it up as well don't worry <laughs> yeah, I remind myself of what I've done is like if I look at this list of the games it's like so little of this revolves around combat yeah and to me that's ama- that's an amazingly fortunate lucky streak and it's no you know I have no problem with those games I play a lot of games where I kill a lot of stuff you know I have no idea of my kill counts in Destiny. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, there's something that's such a weird space to be in because video games are so frequently combat-focused. Uh, to be able to, time after time, work on things that were not that and are more narrative-focused and are more about storytelling uh, is super, super fortunate. So in terms of... Um... So your like musical influences is there any any sort of artists or musicians that's kind of like the first time you listen to is like really got you into music or um yeah from way back in the day i'd say it was like yeah punk and indie music um like you know not to sound like every other broken record but yeah stuff like like Sonic Youth or Fugazi or yeah. uh, Unwound is one of my all-time favorites. Um, that was kind of my coming up. I grew up in the era of Nirvana in Seattle, so it was impossible to avoid. And uh, but in terms of like moving from that and playing that sort of music into doing stuff by myself was when I discovered like Moax Records and, and uh, not just hip hop and rap music but where that focus turned towards the production so it was less about the rapping and was yeah a lot of instrumental records coming out yeah or like cordis had like sampling it was really fascinating to me and then that paralleled with part of the 
indie rock thing at that time was less of a focus on production. So if the 80s were all glossy, you know, high production records, it was bands like uh, uh, Beat Happening or Nirvana who were less focused on like slick, slick recordings or Guided by Voices is a great example and just making cool music. So from a production standpoint, Guided by Voices records sound awful. Like they sound like shit. But the cool thing was that meant they got to make a lot of music and you could buy a 45 with like 10 songs on it. And I just thought that was so cool. And I could give a shit about the sonic quality to the point where I actually liked that more. Like, Oh, they just recorded this on like some, like, you know, or something in the court. I don't know what. Um, and then, you know, in a, they, Took that idea and ran with it with you know vintagey old textures being a huge part of the writing vivio another example like weathered all this music is well weathered um so i think that has affected me in making the sound design or the the textural quality of the music as important to me as what the notes are um and try to bring that into focus whenever uh, possible. So it sounds, especially like listing listing the influences as well. It's like a quite a big time scale. A lot of them are over as well. Like obviously Sonic Youth and the sort of and like Nirvana and the early grunge stuff, like you know late noughties, eighties, and early nineties. But then when you've got Boards of Canada, who same sort, but more nineties, but like then using equipment. And it's just like a whole whole mashup of new production or new sounds and old production techniques, and just actually yeah. writing music and enjoying writing music rather than yeah getting caught up too much in making it sound amazing. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I think that was it. This is all before my time, but that technology, recording technology, had a huge impact on yeah how things sounded. But obviously, the drive is always as best as possible as best as possible and so you really i'm a big fan of you know 60s and 70s soul these american punk and soul music and progression is very stark from really raw recordings because that was the peak of technology at that time in the 60s to then things getting very slick and refined throughout the 70s as multi-track recording got better and better uh and to many people, it's the high point, but for me, it's the low point of things like, I'm going to totally talk shit about a band right now. <laughs> but, yeah, just because it was so fascinating to me, it was Steely Dan. Like, yeah. I'm fine with the band. I like their songs. But when I watched a documentary about Aja and found out that, like, performers who were on that record, so Bernard Purdy, one of my favorite drummers, was on that, and in my opinion... They just sucked all the soul out of his playing. Like I'm like, oh, I get that. That's one of his styles. Like, oh, that's the pretty shuffle. Okay, I get it. But boy, is it not feel like him? And so I think that was a thing. With technology, got so good and kept improving, kept improving, and they're spending more and more money in studios. It finally got to the point where, like, okay, now it is totally clean. Whoops. Yeah, we're missing something. And that's where, like, for I, th- I think it was, like, the bedroom recording explosion in the 90s really happened, where it's like, okay, we're, 
we can't afford those big fancy studios, so we're going to do it ourselves. Um, you know, became a thing. So you had bands, yeah, like I mentioned, Beat Happening or uh, Sebado or, you know, some Velvet Sidewalk, like bands that were just like, who cares about that stuff? Let's just do this in somebody's basement on a four track or eight track, and that's the record. And that has never left me to the point where when I do hear things, I literally will hear something and it's too slick. I'm like, eh. <laughs> the demos, give me the demos, those are better. Tried. It's always, always takes the, the human element out of it to an extent when it's like so so polished and re-recorded to get it perfect almost. Yeah, yeah. And that even happened with, with Jet. Obviously, I want these things to sound as good as possible and aesthetically like it fits this game. But there were definitely moments where something I did as a demo, and I'm still, I'm talking about samples. This isn't like me playing piano or guitar saying, this will be an orchestra. This is literally doing things with samples, but kind of roughly to get an idea, or definitely the, the creative director, Greg Adams, was like, yeah, this is, this is great. Let's expand on this. And then I expand on it. And part of that is refining the recording. And yeah, it loses some energy. So some of the stuff that's in that game is not perfect from a production standpoint, but it's because like those earlier ones were things that myself or Craig latched onto and just decided, yeah, those are better than the updates I did. So let's stick with that. Um, so yeah, that bleeds through even to things where it wouldn't be as obvious as something like like Oxenfree, where it's supposed to sound broken. So in terms of um, like game soundtracks or just soundtracks in general, is there one that you would have liked to not necessarily worked on, but kind of been around when they were making it just to kind of hear hear or understand like how they came about doing it oh with complete ones um you know it's hard so this is kind of embarrassing but i actually don't listen i don't listen to much music these days so i'm making i'm working on sound things constantly and that is just means i literally have less hours in the day like yeah. oh this is cool this is amazing but um but yeah, there's like one of weird thing is one type of soundtrack I'm fascinated with is, is not a composer, but with how it's curated. So there's been some licensed soundtracks that I just think are amazing. Uh, Ho Hokum was a good, good example that was essentially curated by Ghostly International yeah. and then worked with artists that worked within that aesthetic. And it came full circle and was so aesthetically like spot on for the game that just uh yeah everything about that game to me is perfect and part of that is the soundtrack and it's amazing that it's like i don't know how many different artists it is but it's like it's a collective of of, of you know different people making that and it, i just thought it was great and similar to that is the ollie ollie series yeah. like that's all licensed stuff and so good like that is again that's one of those if i was still a dj I wasn't, you know, I was still out there. That's the kind of music like I love to play and I love to listen to, and it's so neat that it's like so cohesive, uh, and it's all yeah, licensed music and different artists. Yeah, yeah. I say I played Ollie Ollie a few months ago for the first time and really just like it's one of them where it's the, the soundtrack it 
could have been made by the same person how well it all fits together but it is obviously different different artists and it's definitely something that you can listen to outside of outside of the game yeah i need to play the second one i've not oh there's another one as well isn't there i thought there was yeah holly uh, holly world it's, uh, it's coming up soon it's not out uh, yet it's, that's fine i was worried yeah, it I'm would be add, added onto the massive list of games i've got to play still <laughs> <laughs> yeah so in terms of your um your yourself and your future work obviously oxen free two lost signals that's is that next year that's due out roughly yes yes i think that is as a, much as i'm allowed to say is yes 2022 is the year and is uh, is that going to be more of the same or yeah yeah we're definitely you know pushing boundaries as much as is appropriate but also like not breaking what is the core of that game so as much of the original team is involved as possible obviously i'm making the music again and uh helping with direction on uh uh audio and then with you know any puzzle stuff that might relate to audio you know assisting with that as i did on the first one so yeah really really fun and exciting because this was of all the games i've worked on the one i'm like i want to do this again yeah was it super lucky was there always going to be a sequel to that or did that just come about because of the sort of uh impact the first one had um you know from their perspective i'm not sure i don't know but i think it's one of those ones so much of it is about the world that this takes place in that it's like ripe for that yeah and i know you know i don't know the details but i know there's been like you know conversations around like a movie adaptation or a television series i don't know you know hollywood deals <laughs> but uh uh that you know there's just been discussion about that because it is like a world that like provides for that like there's so much that could happen in that environment and that environment is such uh, uh, a huge aspect of that game like how it looks and feels uh is huge yeah and in terms of like is there any of a soundtracks or work that you've you've got on at the minute that you can discuss or no <laughs> <laughs> i think what i can say is uh yes i had return return business we can say that so i am working with uh tender claws on a new thing working with broken rules on a new thing hopefully there will be announcements uh at some point in the future um obviously oxenfree 2 and continuing to work with night school on stuff and i think that's what i can say <laughs> <laughs> so yeah the future there's some really cool stuff happening that sounds cool in terms of um night school and i I'm guessing this is one that you probably can't mention much about because of how recent it was. With the uh, the Netflix involvement, yeah. is is that just going to be solely a games thing, or is there is there the possibility of any sorts of like TV film spin offs from that? So yeah, that is so new. I actually don't know. Uh, the cool thing is, what's amazing is like that has changed what's going. Other than like some hecticness on like everybody's on fire for two weeks before that announcement um it's back to excuse me it's back to business as usual 
uh, and I maintained like my exact same position and every everything kind of just like okay we're still doing the thing we were doing that's cool <laughs> uh, so yeah um, I don't know what else could be in store that's good you're asking me a, a question that is probably loaded with top secret information and I don't know the answer, <laughs> so I'm not I'm I did not think, hiding anything I did think it was one where it's like it's actually only only so recently it's came out and it's like it's definitely yeah. one going to be that no one can say anything but it's nice it's nice to kind of those sorts of situations to speculate about as you say like oxen free would the sort of universe that exists in you know the a, a netflix adaptation of a, a story based upon that would be amazing yeah. and it would definitely definitely get watched and then it yeah. feeds back to that you know people watch the show then play the games and then yeah and yeah, yeah, and that's the thing for my then again outsider perspective, like on this sort of relationship. I'm like, I've already made the jokes in meetings. Like, yeah, okay. When do we start a TV show? <laughs> I want to do that. Like, and again, it's one of those things. If it was maybe something else, I'd be lukewarm on it. But it's oxen free, so I'd be happy to like you know make more of this type of of, of music. So I will keep I will keep hinting. Hopefully, something can happen. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. It's I think speak for quite a lot of people that say that you, you know you guys hate, keep on making games and making the music for them because it's let's say Night School, well, and all the games you've worked on, but Night School, the games they've done have been really enjoyable, and I know a lot of people have thoroughly enjoyed them. So yeah, have thank a you. have a yeah. pat on the back from a uh, several thousand miles away. <laughs> <laughs> um so i think i think i've kind of came to the end of end of my questions list i think so and uh, saying that is there anything you'd like to add or talk about at all andy oh, um no i just like i like being asked so uh <laughs> that makes it easier for me and less planned yeah i love this sort of thing where it's not um quite as staged or rehearsed yeah you know it's fun to talk about broadly instead of like the, the PR rush for like a particular game where I'm supposed to tell you all the specific points, but that's the thing with some of the people I work with, all the people I work with, that's very casual about that sort of thing. So that's great too. Like nobody's telling me to shut up on Twitter or <laughs> to pump some certain aspect of Twitter or sale or anything. And even when those things have come up in the past, like I have been, you know, I do turn down stuff when it doesn't seem like quite the right fit but yeah. like one of the things I've always said is like oh we're doing a kickstarter you want to be involved in this and I kind of just say well the game yes but kickstarter thing no and that's I don't have I don't have the skills for like the PR stuff and I just don't have the mental energy for it like yeah. what's the people who do like I'm always actually really impressed uh, with the people who can do all the other hustle stuff around the business but it's definitely something that like i'm bad at and so like if you're trying to get me on this game so i can like go on twitter every day or twitch stream every day uh you're talking about like, <laughs> that's, that's all i can think people have their like sort of skill set and there's no point trying to get them to do things that they're not good at for the sake of it yeah yeah well, that's one of the things. So I, they've experimented a couple times with, you know, doing 
that a live uh, uh, night school has with you know doing a, a live playthrough on Twitch for an hour or two. And my thing, like you know, there was that Twitch leak of like the money these people make, and yeah. I'm like, good, because I watch a Twitch streamer, and that looks like the most difficult and exhausting job in the world. Like seriously, like so many people say, oh, I play video games for a living. That looks easy, but I'm like talking to people constantly having to be an entertainer for like eight hours a day six days a week and talking to chat i'm like that's hard like no way in hell would i want to do that especially because it's not like you get hired yeah. for minimum wage and do it you these people do this for free for they do it for nothing for who knows how long before even a chance and i'm just like man do not sign me up for that that looks exhausting yeah, definitely, definitely not one to want to talk to lots of people on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, especially especially about like the, you know you watch watch Twitch streams and you just see the sorts of comments and stuff, and it's like oh you have to be nice and engage with everyone. It's like oh, just exhausted. It's exhausting thinking about it from my perspective. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, having to be nice to assholes. <laughs> and also having to remain fairly neutral because one of my things is like if somebody's going to ask my opinion on something controversial, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell them. Yeah. So, you know, like if I was a Twitch streamer and somebody comes in as some sort of uh, pro-Trump anti-vaxer or stuff I'm strongly against, I'm gonna jump on them. I'm gonna be like, "Fuck you!" Also, get out <laughs> and ah, and ruin it. And so I watch, you know. Twitch entertainers, streamers, maintaining neutrality, and they do have great help with moderators and things. But holy shit, I have the worst temperament for for those sorts of people. Uh, I couldn't hack it. No, I think <laughs> I think it's just as well as like people that just go out their way to be as antagonistic as possible as well. Yeah. It's just like. And I'm the kind of person that a few times would be like, oh, that's fine, you're just being an idiot. But it's like, I will just bite and just shout yeah. at you and lose my yeah. call. Well, this is, the, yeah, this is actually something that's relevant, is that's a huge thing in video games. And it's a huge thing of being a public-facing figure in video games. And so I'm fortunate, on one hand, that I get to keep my head down relatively. I'm not a community manager. I don't have to be the face of anything but myself. And two, that the games I've worked on have really healthy uh, communities. Yeah. Like the people who enjoy these games and, and contribute to the communities are cool. You know, we don't get, yeah, awful, you know, multiplayer, what, you know, I don't even want to go there <laughs> just because they're just so awful. And toxic is the word that's used so much. It's just like, trolling for trolling's sake and talking shit. You know, one thing I notice is I see auxiliary, so Jet was, you know, a PS5 thing, so we were tied into a lot of that PR, so it would be a PlayStation 5 uh, or PlayStation uh, Twitter account would post about Jet, and it's like, the responses are toxic, but they're not even about the game. They're just like, boo, Xbox. <laughs> you know, it's like... What does it have to do with anything? And it's just so infuriating that that's like this is just the way some people communicate. And I'm just really, really lucky that I work on projects that don't encourage or attract those 
types of interactions and we get the people who are like super positive and great and i mean i think that is you know those sorts of games it's not really it's not really anything negative or like controversial you can say about them and the kind of that lends it and it is they are kind of you get that separation in games where you get games that are exist as games to make money is the best way of putting them like you know the sort of call of duty series and that sort of thing whereas you know they are they can be good games but they're not they're not done with a sort of artistic integrity and you know the sort of appreciation that the sorts of games that you've worked on have i think it's kind of attracts different different sorts of um, people and things with that yeah yeah and that's yeah so yeah very thankful for that yeah that old man's journey doesn't attract <laughs> yeah trolley 4chan shit posters <laughs> yeah not had anyone going oh why couldn't we uh why couldn't we oh, oh, i'm not even going to say what i was going to say because it might spoil people for the <laughs> the game that they've played and don't want to do that but yeah why why couldn't we do this to the old man or something it's like oh. yeah <laughs> yeah 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 and so and it's what's weird is even like i mentioned sneaky sasquatch being super popular but even that like the feedback we do get is so good and a lot of it is oh, it's excuse younger so it's one of the first games where a lot of the fan base is I, I think they said like you know six to eight year old boys yeah but like if i go and i find where people have uploaded scenes from the game or music on youtube it's like all people who are excited and like oh this is so awesome i love this part and, and yeah, so that's really, really good to see and is, like, being part of the video game, like, community uh, and business is a... I just have dodged bullets so far in slow motion. It's, like, it's kind of an odd thing with games, though, where you do get people that go out of their way to be negative about it and you wouldn't really get that well, you, you do with the internet, but, like, you know, you wouldn't get people going to an art gallery and saying someone's works shit there or go into someone's gig to boo them it's always like yeah so you know and i know people will probably comment bad things on people's music bands twitter and it's just that's the internet but it just seems people go out of their way to be mean and it's like do you not have anything better to do (laughs) basically yeah yeah it's fascinating so yeah again very fortunate to, to work with who i get to work with but yeah, I think um, I think that little tangent at the end wraps things up quite nicely. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, it's been lo- lovely talking to you, Andy. Um, really yeah, enjoyed thank it. You so much. Um, wish Great. you the best of luck in the the future, and obviously excited yeah. for Ox and Free Two and everything else you've got coming out. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, this was great. Once again, like to thank Andy for his time uh, chatting to me about his game soundtrack work and just general music and the state of the gaming industry as well um the next episode of the podcast will be going live the last friday in november and once again thank you for all your support and thank you for listening and i hope you have a wonderful day